Hello everyone and welcome to the Banter Roundtable podcast. This is your host, Ben Cohen. And I'm Bob Seska. And I'm Justin Rosario. The Banter Roundtable podcast is brought to you by the Banter Newsletter. We rely on our generous subscribers to keep going, so please support us by signing up for a Banter membership today. everybody welcome to the banter roundtable podcast we're on episode 60 so 60 episodes you've the 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 journey we've been on guys has been you know uh eventful right like bob you were shocked when i told you this was episode 60 (laughs) i really was i said the three of us have done 60 episodes 60 episodes i'm thinking in terms of maybe like 60 is the new 40 so i get the sense (laughs) that we've only done 40 I don't know how it, that it, it feels like that because I feel, you know, I'm 41 now and I feel like 41 is the new 30. Well, at least that's what I, that's what <laughs> that's I tell what myself. You, that's what you're telling yourself. That's what I tell myself. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, and I mentioned this to my wife and she sort of, I'm like, I don't look 41, do I? And she just sort of carries on <laughs> with what she's doing. She, says, she never actually answers the question. Um, that, Which that's, I, that's the male equivalent of do these pants make me look fat? Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, wife, you know, I'm going to be 52 uh, in July. So the number 60 in this household is like an obscenity. We just don't say that. We don't say that number here. I mean, I feel like eight years away, but it, it, it's weird, right? Your refer- your time concept of time as you get older changes, right? So things move really f- fast. Yeah, yeah. And so... Like when you say 60, you're 51, and then 60 is eight years away, or nine years away, rather. Uh, and that that goes quickly, right? I mean, I was I feel I'm 31 or 32. That's what I think I am in my head. And then, but I'm not. But I, it went so quickly that I can't, like I saw Facebook feed with photos of my honeymoon um, in 2017. And I couldn't believe that was six years ago. Like, <laughs> what? What happened? I don't understand. Um, but anyway, yeah, we have done sixty. Uh, we have done sixty episodes, guys. That's, yeah, well, that's... five more episodes of the show, and we can all get social security. We can, yeah, we can retire. All right. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> we just we could just stop this. Yeah. Um... The show well, will get we'll, social security. Everything will be solved. Like the country yeah. will be fixed. Everything will be fine, and uh, that's it. We can retire. We can. Yeah. Exactly. Move to Costa Rica. Um, well, listen, listen. We've got a great show up for you all today. We have our first, most importantly um, is our reaction to the State of the Union speech. That was the big news this week. Obviously, we have another Twitter files, a Twitter files in reverse story, where it turns out that the Twitter files, the Republican Party under Trump, the Trump White House, was doing the exact same thing the Democrats were doing and asking yep. Twitter to uh, take down certain tweets and monitoring Twitter, Twitter's activity. So very much looking forward to Matt Taibbi and Barry Weiss's apology for all of that. We'll be getting into that. You really will be 65 by the time that happens. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, Joe Rogan's anti-Semitism and the total lack of reaction to that. Uh, We have our Both Sides segment uh, this week, which is uh, we've got some very disturbing examples. Um, My one in particular is incredibly disturbing. Then we have the emergency meeting. The emergency meeting is where we talk about a very, very pressing issues that need to be discussed. Um, we're going to be talking about conspiracy theories of why they're taking off. There was a very 
sad story from um, the great Seymour Hirsch, the once great Seymour Hirsch, who's a legendary American journalist who's now gone off the deep end and spreading Nord Stream pipeline conspiracy theories. So we're going to be talking about what happened there, why are these conspiracy theories taking off so rapidly now, and why are these legendary journalists going off the rails? So we'll be getting into that in the emergency meeting. Uh, but first of all, guys, this week obviously was the State of the Union speech. And um, Bob and I wrote reaction pieces to that. Uh, my piece wasn't really about the speech so much. It was more about the reaction to the speech, which was mm-hmm. the Republican meltdown um, and, and the sort of glaringly obvious fact now that this is not a political party anymore. This is just, they're just screaming monkeys, flinging shit in, um, in the, you know, at the president for no other reason. It's just all performance art now. But the speech, uh, your reactions, guys, what what did you think? It was good. It was great. It was, like, optimistic. It was, like, forward-looking. It wasn't, like, you know, all, you know, oh, it's dark times. We have to pull through. It's like, no, this is – we have a lot of things to look forward to. We have problems, but we can take care of it. We have, you know, th- there's hope. And it was like, woohoo, yay. Some of the segues could have been a little smoother, but otherwise it was good. I was actually like, I'm not really into speeches. I don't tend to listen to them for the most part, but it was really good. I was, I was actually quite happy while I was listening to it. I was like, this is nicely done. Yeah. Uh, nicely done. As far as I'm concerned, would kind of be an understatement. I thought that uh, was an historic state of the union address. Uh, in fact, Tuesday before the address happened, I was talking on my show with Buzz and we were saying, well, we shouldn't get our expectations up for there to be something big and historic. Well, there's no expectation for uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself or any of this great oratory because it's so seldom ever happens. I think we set these expectations for these uh, joint session speeches, speeches by uh, presidents and very often, more often than not, actually, there's nothing that's really overly memorable. I mean, things that certainly apply in the moment and they're usually uh, uh, filled with some form of emotional fever pitch, especially when they go to uh, the guests in the gallery and so on. Uh, But this particular speech confounded that analysis because there was that moment with uh, the, the debt ceiling and Social Security and Medicare where Joe Biden, and this is what I wrote about this week, where Joe Biden (sighs) surgically destroyed the Republicans in that moment, Uh, embarrassed every single member of the Republican caucus, every single, what, 271 Republicans there between the House and the Senate, and they all suckered themselves, or they all got suckered, I should say, by Joe Biden, into screaming about the notion that they would ever want to sunset Social Security. And then, well, then we have agreement, right? We're not going to touch Social Security. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, he should have <laughs> he should have just dropped the mic and walked off at that moment because that would have been like, I've never seen anything like that in the history of presidential addresses, whether they're State of the Union addresses, debates, uh, stump speeches, inaugurals, and so on. I've never seen something like that happen before, where he took the Republican weapon, which is they have one weapon, and that is their <clears throat> that is their loudness, that is their thirst for public attention and social media reach, and therefore donor cash. 
That's the whole thing. The Republican Party is geared toward content, and their content was to boo and scream liar at Joe Biden and condescend to him as if he's genuinely a, a doddering old man. And that doddering old man, sleepy Joe Biden, owned every single one of them, drank their milkshakes, rabbit season, duck season them. Whatever you want to apply as a metaphor, that's what he did in that moment. And they should all be embarrassed. Kevin McCarthy should have resigned right then and there after that speech because he just blew away any power that he would have (laughs) throughout the course of the next year of negotiations. So, yeah, big deal. Yeah, and I agree. And it it really does blow up the narrative that, you know, the Sleepy Joe narrative and this this idea that he's completely senile. Like, he's just just not, right? You can take clips out of context and you can make it seem like Biden is not with it and he's losing the plot. And look, I mean, he's clearly obviously old, right? There's no denying that. The guy's 80. um, And I think his speech impediment doesn't sometimes help him or serve him very well, like when you've got the 24 hour kind of relentless news cycle and constant cameras in his face and um, deep fakes and splicing clips together, you can sort of create any caricature you want. Um, But, you know, it was like the debates, right? Like the the debates with Trump when everybody was saying, you know, Trump's going to wipe the floor with Biden. I remember watching Joe Rogan basically say like, this is going to be a massacre. Uh, he was saying that like, Donald Trump's going to absolutely wipe the floor with Biden during the debates in 2020. And, and he and he absolutely didn't. Like, it was the exact mm-hmm. opposite. Like, Biden was was great. He was just, he was just an, himself, right? He yeah. was on form, um, articulate, engaged with the audience, engaged with the questions. You know, he likes to go off on tangents. Um, but Biden's always done that. Like, Bob, you was, we, we discussed this a while back, that Biden is known for kind of going on wild tangents and making kind of, uh, you know, what, what do you call them? Um, what did you and Ches do that you and Ches had a segment, right? About, about Biden's, um, Biden's gaffes. Oh yeah. I don't know that we had a segment about it, but we used to always talk about, there was this one clip that we used to always play where <laughs> Joe Biden was talking about how all kinds of jobs have been lost to call centers overseas and then he started to like pretend as though he was on the phone with a call center that was overseas or getting a phone call into him, like getting a spam phone call and picking it up. And the person on the other line says, I'd like to talk to you about your credit card. And like right in the middle of almost going like almost doing like an Apu from the Simpsons voice to like, Oh shit, I shouldn't say that. And then (laughs) and then dropping the accent i mean there were just there's things like that there was another occasion where he referred to a a guy who was in the audience named the guy's actual name was dr paper and he referred to him as dr pepper and so (laughs) this is what joe biden i mean going back to the 1980s I first heard of Joe Biden in the 1980s when I first started following politics. And even then, we used to always talk about how Joe Biden loved to talk, but he would always kind of, you know, stumble into things. And uh, and that and that's just that's just Joe Biden. But the fact of the matter is that I think people make a mistake in underestimating him. I know I underestimated him for many, many years, certainly into the 2016 or 2020 election cycle. 
And uh, and that was a mistake because what we saw Tuesday night was a fantastic example of the kind of experience he brings to the table. You could tell by what he did to the Republican caucus Tuesday night that this is a guy who's been a creature of the Hill since before I was born. And that's significant. That's something where if you if you're kind of uh, playing along with this right wing talking point that mm. Joe Biden is too old to run again. Uh, you're 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 missing the forest for the trees here because his age and his experience is what ultimately allows him to win so often these huge legislative accomplishments owning the republicans tuesday night i mean this has been a significant first couple of years and i don't think that that happens with any younger president i think mm. it requires that kind of experience to kind of checkmate the Republicans time and time again to the point where he was able to get them to agree to a bipartisan infrastructure bill that in this day and age, a bipartisan anything is like a joke. <laughs> and he was able to do it. Right. And 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 he used it Tuesday night, by the way. All the Republicans who voted against the infrastructure bill, all the Republicans who voted against the uh, Inflation Reduction Act is like, I'll see you at the ribbon cutting. Yeah, that was, was it was so great. That it was, was so great. Funny. I got a good giggle out of that one. Yeah. I mean, I I got to I got to say, right, and and I'm an Obama fan, right? I'm a, I'm an Obama guy, right? I was that that's my guy. That's I I was a huge advocate for a, a Obama because I kind of admired his um oratory sort of skills and prowess and um his kind of relentless attempts to build kind of bipartisan culture in Washington and hope and optimism. But compared to Biden, he's nowhere near as effective. He just isn't, right? Like Biden is the most successful president I've seen, right? Yeah. In, in, in in 20 years of observing, of being here uh, and, you know, in at least in re recent history, these leg legislative successes are huge uh, and given the the sort of the stakes and the, the state of the country, pandemics and um, global wars and all that kind of stuff, like this, the guy is is a a great president already. He's a great president. Yeah, at and a time when Republicans can rake in mountains of cash mm. by routinely pantsing Joe Biden. Mm. He has been able to achieve these accomplishments uh, in these past two years, and. I think there's a lot more to come. I mean, I think we're going to see even some accomplishments with uh, a Republican House. I think he's mm. going to manage to get some things passed. Uh, at, at the very least, I, I'm a lot less concerned about the debt ceiling at this point, just mm. because I'm uh, quite convinced that Kevin McCarthy's not up to the task. No, he's weak. He's a very, very he's the weakest House Speaker I've you know in modern yeah. history. For, you know, it, the guy has an absolutely no leverage whatsoever. He's controlled by the the crazies, but the crazies are going to have to confront political realities too, as they did before. Right? They had to confront political realities and vote for McCarthy. After how many attempts? How many times did he? How many votes did he have? It was like 16, 15, 15, 15 yeah, fifteen ballots. Crazy, yeah. But no, I've, look, the just, speech just the right age from Matt Gates. No, yeah, exactly. But... Yeah, I mean, look, it was a great speech. I think. It sets him on good course for the 2023, right? Couldn't have started 2023 better than that. 
Uh, I didn't see any flaws in his speech at all. Uh, obviously, Marjorie Taylor Greene made the spectacle. What was she doing dressed up as Cruella de Vil? Like, what was all that? I mean, presumably it was supposed to be her version of the white balloon. That she, you know, Is that I, what I, she was doing? Swing and a miss. I, I, I think <laughs> so. I can't imagine what else she was trying to do because, I don't know, she doesn't normally dress like that. And mm. I know she was carrying a white balloon at one point. I don't think she brought it into the chamber. Mm. Like, like the version of the speech I watched, the camera stayed on Biden the entire time. It wasn't like it didn't show people in the audience for very long. So I didn't see her. Mm. Um, and I barely heard like I couldn't I knew she was yelling only because I knew she was yelling. Otherwise, mm. I didn't know it was her at all. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't hear her on the mics um, when it was just him. Um, so I, I didn't see her during the speech. I don't think she had it with her, but mm. I know she had a balloon. So I think that's what she was trying to do. And um, what's her name? Uh, Christian Kirsten Cinema was dressed as Big Bird. So I, I have no idea what they were doing other than look at me, look at me, look at me. Yeah. I, I think it's wise to not underestimate people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, I, I do think like she's a clown, but she's also she knows her audience quite well. Uh, but well, I think and the, the press is trying to christen her as a very serious person now. They're trying super super hard to make her into a very serious person, and the alt left is all in on baptizing her as a very serious person, <sighs> which is making me want to vomit. So yeah. yeah. And and then she becomes a very ser- serious person because now we have to take her seriously, right? It's like self-fulfilling prophecy, right? It's like the whole Sarah Palin thing that, like, it, she was a exactly. joke. She was a joke, and then she becomes a serious entity because we've been Everyone told. Everyone said so. We were yeah. like, she's serious, she's serious, she's serious. You have to take her serious. It's like, no, we don't because she's not serious. But then she becomes serious. Yeah, it's a catch-22, really, isn't it? Like, how how do you um, – the more that we say they're not serious, the more she becomes serious because by virtue of the alternate reality that the right creates for themselves, where everything up is down, left is right, black is white, and, you know, Trump is a, a very stable genius. You know? Right, and the press <laughs> needs that because they, the, the Republicans don't have any serious people, so they're desperate to find one. Right. They're desperate to find one because otherwise it's just a clown show 24-7, and they don't like that. Mm. Um, so... Reviews, 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10 for the speech. Oh, yeah, no, I would definitely give it a 9, 10 out of 10. Yeah, but I'm in a nine, that, nine, the 9, 9.5 range. range. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, it's up there. Yeah, I, I think here's what happened with Joe Biden and his public speaking. Just a random theory, if you're concerned when he stumbles over words and things like that. First of all, just to repeat, he has a stutter. This is something he's fought for a long time. Uh, the other thing is, I think at some point he was coached to keep his voice down. Um, but I think that works sometimes. I, I think a lot of times, though, I, I like when Joe Biden gets forceful with his volume. <laughs> and he did it a few times the other night. But, uh, yeah, so I, I'd like to see that a little more often. You know what I haven't noticed after this? I haven't seen anyone bitching about teleprompters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's because Donald Trump relies on them so much. I mean, every single Donald Trump rally is just a review and comment on what's on his teleprompter. I mean, they were doing it for a little while last year in his first year as president, but I don't see that anymore. Like, I don't see that as a Biden can't do anything over the teleprompter. That just seems to have disappeared. Yeah, because 
Donald Trump needs it so much. Like the copy and paste speeches that Stephen Miller puts together for him or whoever, they come up on the teleprompter screen. Donald Trump reads a couple of lines for the first time, most likely, and then has to stop and comment on what he just read as though he's reading the newspaper and commenting on that. It's ridiculous. But, but that- what I, yeah, what, what I always thought was crazy, right, was this was the thing that they would attack Obama on, right, that his use of a teleprompter as if most politicians don't use teleprompters, right? Well, that was just pure racism. It's like, oh, look, it's the black man. He's 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 only articulate as long as he's reading someone else's words. But it was, I just wanted. didn't understand the lot because he's so clearly supernaturally bright, right? There's like, regardless of whether you agree with Obama, whether you like the guy, I don't, whatever, right? You cannot argue that the guy is not, it's just self-evident that he's in, he's a kind of another level of intellect, that well, that's what, they found so, that's what they found so threatening about him. So that's why mm. they act it constantly. So weird, because he's like the, one of the least threatening type of... Anyway, there you go. There's the GOP's racism for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you know, anybody with a, the darker skin color has to be threatening. Um, but no, look, I, anyway, let's we'll, we'll move on from the State of the Union speech. I Again, I, I'm with you guys. I thought it was excellent. Um couldn't have couldn't have been better so and you know we are we're partisan hacks and shills right we're we're dnc stooges so so uh we're bound to say that but i i don't care whatever it's subjectively objectively it was a great speech so okay uh this was a story um, in rolling stone this week this was about the other twitter files that you didn't hear from elon musk so on this is from rolling stone this week Quote, when the White House called up Twitter in the early morning hours of September 9th, 2019, officials had had what they believed was a serious issue to report. Famous model Chrissy Teigen. (laughs) (laughs) Stop laughing, Justin. Sorry. Had just called President Donald Trump a pussy ass bitch on Twitter. And the White House wanted the tweet to come down. That exchange revealed during Wednesday's House Oversight Committee hearing on Twitter by Representative Jerry Connolly and others like it, and they were to be found in Elon Musk's Twitter files releases, which have focused almost exclusively on requests from Democrats and the feds to the social media company. The newly empowered Republican majority in the House of Representatives is now devoting significant resources and time to investigating this supposed collusion between liberal politicians and Twitter. Some Republicans even believe the release of the Twitter files is the tip of the spear of their crusade against the alleged liberal bias of big tech. But former Trump administration officials and Twitter employees tell Rolling Stone that the White House's Teagan demand was hardly an isolated incident. The Trump administration and its allied Republicans in Congress routinely asked Twitter to take down posts they objected to. The exact behavior that they are claiming makes President Biden, the Democrats and Twitter complicit in an anti-free speech conspiracy to muzzle conservatives online. And this is a quote uh, from uh, a a former top aide to senior Trump administration official who told Rolling Stone that, quote, it was strange to me when all of these investigations were announced because it was all about the exact same stuff that we had done. It was normal. Mm -hmm. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. That's the whole point of going after trans people. They're trying to distract from the reality that a ridiculous number of Republican officials, Republican politicians, and so on, are being nabbed for child rape, sexual assault, child porn, 
there's a colossal list of that. And uh, and so what they do is they say, oh, no, 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 it's trans people over there, even though there's zero instances of trans people committing sexual assault. This is uh, their shell game. Right. I mean, the, but the hypocrisy is just mind blowing, right? That, that, that this is now a whole thing in the Republican Party that big tech and liberal and the liberal um, media and uh, the White House are all right. in collusion. They're all coordinating this sort of this censorship, these efforts to to suppress free speech and blah, 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 blah. Well, it's the same thing they did with the regular media of like 40, 50 years ago. You attacked them constantly over and over and over, and suddenly the press stops talking about what Republicans are doing accurately mm. and starts saying both sides, both sides, both sides, both sides, and it worked. It worked so, so fucking well mm-hmm. that now you know you have the press is just filled with Chris Elizes and Chuck Todds who would rather slit their wrists than say Republicans are fucking crazy and Democrats are, well, they're just a regular political party. They cannot say that anymore. They can't. And the press won't do that no matter what. You know, the, the Republicans literally tried to overthrow the government in a violent coup. And the press is loath to discuss that. They still talk about Republicans like their normal political party. And that's because of 50 years of attacking the press just like this. So now, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Right, exactly. I mean, the way that the media is treating this as well is 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 extraordinary. I mean, well, now the media, like we have the Matt Tabers and the Barry Weisses, they all made this a huge deal, right? These Twitter files released was a huge, massive breaking story. You've got Joe Rogan on his podcast um, saying this is like one of the biggest stories ever. It's bigger than Watergate. And no, please. Blah, 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 right? Because uh, of this apparent collusion. But if you look at through the Twitter files, what it was was the you know uh, law enforcement agencies, FBI, were monitoring social media because the country was being attacked by yes. a foreign fucking government, right? Christ. A foreign government was trying to influence and infiltrate an American election. We know that. We've just we've heard all these Twitter executives um, it's basically saying, yes, there was a huge coordinated effort to use social media platforms to undermine democracy in America. Right. This is this is a fact. Right. Bipartisan Senate Commission um, revealed exactly as much. We know this for certain that there was a Russian disinformation campaign being on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. This is not controversial whatsoever. Right. So it would make sense that the FBI was monitoring this and alerting. All they did was alert Twitter. They said, look, we think these this is a problem here. Can you look into that? And Twitter would say yes or no. And the FBI, they would even say, the FBI, um, it, people, whoever was involved in, in the uh, interactions, right, the FBI would say, look, can you see whether this breaks your terms of service? They absolutely were not saying, take this down. They were saying, can you check, look into this? That's it. Right, which is no different than what you and I do, except they had like, you know, they could email someone directly instead of reporting it through Twitter's automated system. Yes, exactly, right? But then now it turns out that Donald Trump was telling Twitter to take specific tweets down. Yeah. Pussy because they hurt bitch. his feelings. Not even for like real reasons, mm. but because it hurt his feelings. Yeah. Now, it, it's worse than this 
because like right so you've read the article they had so many requests from the from republicans they had an entire database right it wasn't just a couple or a few dozen it was so many they literally had a database now mm. uh, supposedly Taibi and Weiss and the rest of them had full access to all of Twitter's emails and internal documents, right? Mm. So they could go through it and find all the damning evidence. There is zero chance that they went through all of these emails and you know and and did not see anything about Republicans and their database and their hundreds and hundreds of requests. There's zero chance they could have done that, which right. means they saw all of that. And then said, I'm going to fucking ignore all that and put out my Twitter files expose showing that Democrats are the bad guys here. Meanwhile, I'm literally going to ignore Republicans doing the same thing, but worse over bullshit stuff like pussy ass bitch, which is exactly the same thing that I'm going to accuse Democrats of doing because of censorship and evil and blah, blah, blah. But Republicans, I literally see that database (laughs) And I'm gonna. I'm just not gonna say a word about it, because fuck Matt Taibbi and fuck Barry Weiss and all of them because they knew it. They knew they were lying through their teeth. Now we know they were li- they knew they were lying, and they're just gonna. They're not gonna say anything about this. They're just gonna yeah. pretend it never happened. Yeah, I've been be waiting to see what their response was to this. Absolutely nothing. Well, Matt Taibbi tweeted something out. Uh, I think it was yesterday we were recording this on Friday, but he tweeted out saying, basically saying that there was no equivalence between the two stories. Oh, uh, he's so full of shit. Yeah. So he said, uh, he said, I reported in the in the Twitter files one that there had been requests from the Trump White House. <gasps> then yeah. we showed agencies like, yeah, then we showed agencies like the FBI sent spreadsheets with thousands of names at a time. And Adam Chief's office asked that all searches of his office be blocked. But sure, Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. God, he's so fucking dishonest. He, yep. he, it, it's <laughs> right. It's the dishonesty, right, that, that is, I find, shocking. Um that these are the, you know, and they're now the sort of Barry Weiss, Matt Taibbi are, these are now the sort of sainted by Elon Musk, independent journalists, right? And they are determining the nature of debate about this with the public. So now the perception, particularly in right-wing circles, is that there's this grand conspiracy that doesn't exist, right? That absolutely just doesn't. It's just fictitious nonsense, okay? I mean, look, I, I think in some ways, right, it's good to know what the FBI is doing. I, there are always these debates, right, about how much, how much should law enforcement agencies, um, how much reach should they have in, in our digital life? How much can they spy on us? How much can they monitor what we do? And there's a legitimate debate about that, right? Like, Bob, you did all this stuff um, with the Snowden um, oh, yeah. uh, debacle back in 2014, right? Um, and you weren't saying that uh, the NSA was entirely kind of innocent and, and there, was, there was nothing wrong with what the NSA was doing. You were just saying that the way it's being reported on is not correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I didn't see as much of an issue with what NSA was doing, but I certainly saw a lot of issues with the uh, reporting of that. And the same thing, the Venn diagram overlap between then and now is uh, taking something that is – either normal or well-known mm. or previously reported upon mm. and 
spinning it, framing it to seem like not only is it brand new, but it's that is far more devastating than it actually is. Most of what we learned through the Snowden files has mm. already been re- or had already been reported in books and other articles. And this is something that uh, was used by shocking Glenn Greenwald to elevate his own agenda and elevate mm. his own Q score, his own visibility, his own popularity. And uh, you could see that coming down Main Street. If you knew anything about Glenn Greenwald, you knew that he was all about pursuing his own agenda and, and not necessarily about finding the truth in the matter. So that's what we see a lot of right now with the Twitter files. It's a lot of, hmm, what? look, you? the FBI called also. Twitter. Oh, my God, there must be something horrible going on there. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is Glenn just... Greenwald is a is a is a soldier for the truth. How could you say such a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd, I'd just like to say that 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 Greenwald, Tybee, Weiss, all of these characters are raking in millions of dollars on their newsletters. Millions, millions, and millions and millions. It's like it's kind of I find the whole thing to be so depressing right that that like look i'm not complaining right but like we we bust our ass here at the banter right we do as much good work as we possibly can by being by trying to be accurate and honest about what we're what we see right Mm -hmm. but what they've done if you're dishonest and you spread basically conspiracy theories you can make a goddamn fortune Right? Yeah, you you'll, never, it, you'll never go broke telling aggrieved white men this lies they want to hear. Yeah, it's a business model. It is it's a, business a business model. model. It's a it, it's a real business model, right? And it's it's like sometimes I'm like, maybe I should just be an anti-vaxxer. Maybe you should be an anti-vaxxer. Which is, but obviously you can't because it's so deeply unethical, right? That the anti-vaxxers, for example, are some of the most highly paid newsletter writers in America. Like I think Alex Berenson probably pulling in. Two hundred thousand dollars a month, or something. Hundred, well over a hundred grand a month. Oh yeah, his, yeah. On his Substack, right? Um, this is something uh, I I talk about with Stephanie Miller all the time. We kind of commiserate over the fact that if we both, uh, you know, sold out and mm-hmm. abandoned our integrity and became conservatives, we'd have a book deal and you know uh, a million downloads per episode on our podcasts, and and that's. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a fact, yeah. uh, because there's so much cash being flooded into the Red Hat Entertainment Complex. It, it's uh, it's quite tempting for people who don't have a soul, <laughs> who don't mind uh, abandoning or, or don't mind not being able to sleep at night. Yeah. Uh, and and so they make these career choices. See also Candace Owens, mm. who made, you know, not a huge career of it, but you know, spent quite a bit of time relentlessly bashing Donald Trump. And then suddenly Charlie Kirk comes along, probably with a contract and a paycheck and says, hey, do you want to become a conservative? And she goes, well, fine. And then the next morning, whoops, I'm a conservative. (laughs) Because it's a it's a career choice. It's astonishing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really. Sad. I mean, look, we're going to get deeper into this stuff in in the emergency meeting, and um, specifically about Seymour Hirsch. I'm not sure whether that same rule applies. I don't know, but it's it's worth exploring. But yeah, it is. I mean, I, I got to say a big shout out to all of the our, our members and all of the people who are you know supporters of, of your bo- podcast as well, Bob. 
Um, these are the these are the people I believe who are genuinely concerned about what's happening, right? And and willing to kind of put the money where their mouth is as well, mm-hmm. um, and support media sort of outlets that are trying to trying to do an, a, like report honestly on this stuff, um, which is not necessarily sexy all the time. Um, it's it's obvious, you know what I mean. It, it's it would be easy if the if the world was you know full of good guys and bad guys, right? And there were kind of there was a grand conspiracy, but it just doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work mm-hmm. like that. And if you say this, if you say that that hold a second, this sounds like a conspiracy theory. And this is nonsense. It's not sexy, right? I, I mean, it's, it's I can't get past the basic concept of all of this that there was very obvious and playing out on this Rolling Stone piece and much of the testimony that we've seen this week that it was Donald Trump, the head of the government, who was violating right. uh, First Amendment free speech rights by lobbying Twitter to remove certain tweets that were mean to him. And on the other hand, the Biden campaign, not the government, just another user on Twitter saying using the actual platform, the functionality of the platform to report Hunter Biden dick pics being spread around by God, I forget exactly the red hats who were doing it, um, but a lot of prominent red hats oh, were sharing Woods, those pictures and not only are sharing nudes like that, uh, you know, revenge porn, not only is that a violation of uh, the terms of service at Twitter, but also the very fact that they were using hacked materials on Twitter. That's right. also, I mean, so those photos, those tweets that were taken down, uh, listed in the Twitter files, by the way. Um, mm. And just full disclosure, I <laughs> entered each of those URLs into the Wayback Machine character by character because they're not linked. Thanks, Matt. Uh, but I entered the, the URLs for each one of those links into the Wayback Machine, and and that's how I determined that they were all Hunter Biden dick pics. I wish I could delete that from my brain. Uh, but these were two very clear violations of terms of service in all of these tweets. So mm-hmm. Twitter had every right to remove those tweets, and that's what they did. But now you've got Joe Rogan and all of the Republicans screaming about how this is somehow a violation of the First Amendment, when it is absolutely not, not by any definition. When you sign on to Twitter, you agree to abide the terms of service. That's a fact. Everybody, including Donald Trump, signed a, a thing when they first signed on that said, I agree to these terms of service, irrespective of whether they actually read them. And most people don't, you still agree to them. And that's the Mm. way it goes. You don't get a a special dispensation because you're president or because you're Joe Rogan to do Mm. and say whatever you want on Twitter with impunity. That just not, no, it doesn't go that way. Well, I mean, that, that's, that's the, that's the fundamental point here is that, and that's again, going back to what I was saying about them, um, uh, which we'll call, oh my God, I forgot the phrase, whatever, something, the ref gaming, the ref uh, oh, yes, for 50 yes. years. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. but that's what they're trying to do with social media. Now they know that they're only getting worse, right? As a movement, as a political movement, the right is only getting worse. They're only going to get more explicit with their racism, which means they're going to start spewing, you know, actual racial slurs where, where we are less than two or three election cycles away from candidates openly spewing the the actual slurs right mm-hmm. as part of their campaign we're, we're that close to it they're getting so close because they need to be more explicit 
with their base. They're just getting to that point where the base doesn't want to just hear white nationalist rhetoric. They want the actual most explicit version of it. Mm. Okay, so we're getting that close. They're not going to just be complaining about globalists. They're not going to just complain about the Jews. They're going to start using the K word soon. That's coming. It's just a matter of time. Uh, So they're going to get there. And they need social media to be in a position that when they do it, they won't be kicked off of it immediately mm. because they have to they have to position themselves to be the victim of a grand witch hunt and grand persecution. So when they actually start doing this, social media will be like, OK, fine, we can't do anything. Otherwise, we'll be we'll be attacked. We'll be regulated. We'll be we're under all this pressure. We have to allow it. And we'll just say it's because of free speech. That's going to be their refuge. They'll just say. We don't want to hear about it. We don't want to deal with this. We're just going to say we're free speech absolutists, blah, blah, blah. So we will allow all of the hate speech coming from right-wing politicians and right-wing talking heads, and it will just wash our hands of it. That way we won't have to deal with all of this public pressure from Republicans. But Mm. that's what the media did. The media just kind of said, oh, well, you know, we give up. And they Mm. just surrendered. And that's what they're trying. They know this is coming. They know it. And well, look, they're just the, getting ready. As a good segue, right, we, let's talk about um, <laughs> Joe Rogan's anti-Semitism. Because he's, exactly. I'm oh setting you up just for that. For this, right? I mean, look, I don't think Joe Rogan is anti-Semitic. I don't think he's a racist. I don't think he's anti-Semitic. The two things are the same thing, by the way. Uh, that's a whole other topic. But... Uh, these comments, right? I, and I feel I, I want to bring this up to illustrate a couple of points. Okay, so Joe Rogan, he, you know, this is a two, he's two hundred million dollar deal with Spotify, right? But apparently, it's the Jews who are into money um, and greedy. So he said uh, he was speaking with Breaking Points co-host Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty, um, and they were defending um, Ilan Omar's comment about Jews and money. Okay. Um, and they were saying that she shouldn't have apologized for it, right? She's saying she shouldn't have apologized for it. And then Rogan said, Omar had nothing to be sorry over. According to the long-time UFC, this is from the Daily Beast, by the way. According to the long-time UFC commentator, there is nothing problematic about observing that Jewish people like money. Quote, she's apologizing for talking about, it's all about the Benjamins, which is just about money. She's talking about money. That's not anti-Semitic statement. I don't think that is. Benjamins are money. The idea that Jewish people are on into money is ridiculous. That's like saying Italians aren't into pizza. That's fucking stupid. You know, if he'd Joe, 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 Joe. If he'd followed up and saying, it's like, yeah, I mean, white people into money, black people into money, everyone's into money, then fine. I would have been like, okay, yes, fine. Yes, Jews are into money the same way everyone else is into money. But that's not what he meant. You know know what the difference is? Italians haven't been uh, annihilated by the millions because they're into pizza. Exactly. <laughs> that's the problem. Good that's the, right. That's that right. Exactly. Right. And, and this is just, it goes to show you how common anti-Semitic tropes are that people feel that people don't even think they're being anti-Semitic. And I'm, I cannot tell you how many times I've heard this from people I know, friends, family, extended family members, when they talk about Jews and money and business and they're good business people when they're good with money. And I think sometimes they're thinking of it as a compliment, right? Um, maybe, but it's it's not. 
right? And the, the fact that like there are a lot of Jews in bank in banking and finance because historically they haven't been allowed to practice other professions, right? This was this is why you see a lot of um, uh, Jews in particular industries because they were banned from other industries and they weren't allowed to do, uh, you know, they weren't allowed to like own shops and things like that. Um, or become lawyers or or, or whatever it was. Um, so there's a long history of Jews being barred from certain professions and, and money lending was one of them, one of the ones that the only ones that they could do, for example. So it's a crude, gross stereotype. And I think that you've got to be very careful about spreading that kind of stuff. And the reaction, obviously, the writers said nothing. Obviously, they love Joe Rogan. Um, so they haven't called him up on it. And... It, you know, Joe Rogan has not apologized for it. It's like he apologized. His, again, I'm going to say this. I, I want to be careful about how I phrase this right. But like Jews don't really, again, Jews don't really count as a minority, right? This is the sort of the general kind of perception, right? That the Jews are not a real minority. Um, so if you say something about like Joe Rogan was using the N word, right? He used the N word. There was that whole mashup of him using the N word. He came out and apologized immediately, right? He says that Jews are into money, uh, and nothing, no apology, nothing. Um, and, and I feel like this is not a good place right now for Jews because it's, it's normal and commonplace to make anti-Semitic tropes and not be called on it. Um, and again, this is exactly what led up to the Holocaust. This is how Jews get blamed for things. They get blamed for, you know, the, the economic crises. They get blamed for communism. They get blamed for capitalism. Um, anything to do with money, Jews get blamed for. So, like, yeah, that kind of worries me. Jews are always the supervillain. Supervillain, yes. Everything. Yes. Everything that goes wrong, it's, there's always a Jew behind it. Yes. You can, yes. Well, if you look hard enough, anyone who's compla- anyone who's complaining about something, sooner or later they will blame a Jew for it. Yes. Yes. All conspiracies always end up with Jews. Always. That's ironclad rule. Ironclad rule. Right. Um, so anyway, that. Yeah, I'm not happy about that. I. I um, yeah, it's kind of disappointing. Times. <laughs> yeah, it's very. I just find it disappointing because I don't think Joe Rogan is an anti-Semite. I, I don't think he's a hateful person. I think he's an idiot. Um, but I don't think he's a hateful person. I but think that's the thing. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to think he's an anti-Semite. He doesn't even have to be an anti-Semite. That's how pervasive it is. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, listen, let's move on to our both sides segment. Uh, Bob, Bob, your pick for today. Yeah, I'm going with the Missouri Republicans. Uh, not reading the room, first of all, and obviously up to their eyeballs in NRA and gun lobby cash because – Missouri Republicans uh, uh, and in the House, specifically in the Missouri legislature, voted against banning minors from open carrying firearms on public land without adult supervision. What? Yeah. So the proposal to ban children from carrying guns without adult supervision in public failed by a 104 to 39 vote. Only one Republican voted in support of it. (laughs) So... Yeah, the Republicans are okay with children carrying guns on public land. That's fine the, for them, I does guess. Does that mean they can bring yeah, a this gun This goes to hand school? in hand with the fact that Republicans also, uh, in in some areas, want to bring back or to tear down child labor laws to make it easier to hire, you know, a 14-year-old to work in a coal mine. 
This is all shit that's uh, going down with the Republican Party. They're building a bridge to the 1890s is what they're doing. Christ. Let me tell you something. I I say this constantly online all the time. No one, nobody hates children like a pro-life Christian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why. They they want fewer abortions so they have more workers in the coal mines. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. They still believe that children are um I, I i honestly believe if they could vote for five-year-olds to work they would well there's yeah. that thing they keep suggesting where if you want to have school lunches then you have to have the kids work in the school oh my they God. suggested that again i know they suggested a couple several years ago one of them just suggested it again oh just have God. them work in the school have them clean up a bit and then they can earn their school lunches insane it's- it's fu- no one hates children more than a pro-life Republican. I swear to God, Justin, who's your pick this week? Uh, I got Ron DeSantis, and this this is a little more. This is concerning. One of the things that we've been saying about Ron DeSantis is that when he gets out of his Florida media bubble, he's not going to do super well. Um, but one of the things he's been doing in Florida is he's actually been cultivating a media bubble, like actually deliberately cultivating it. He's been. Excuse me. I'm sorry. He's been he's been reaching. He's been cultivating a a group of friendly media outlets. I think one of them he actually created, although they haven't quite proven that yet. Mm. But um, there's a, a a blog that just appeared a few days after he fired Andrew Warren. Um, the it was a Tampa prosecutor that he just fired because he wouldn't um, prosecute women. Who mm. were seeking abort? I think it was it was seeking abortions, and he refused. Like he said, "Yeah, I'm not going to prosecute these women." And he was an elected prosecutor, and DeSantis just removed him, which turns out to be completely illegal and against the state constitution. And yet somehow he has not been reinstated, which I find to be astonishing in and of itself. That you can just do that now. You can just remove elected officials, and you can get away with that when you're a Republican. But so um, there's the, there's a whole there's a whole blog in um, the the newsletter seeking rents from Jason Garcia, detailing how he just has an entire network of friendly media outlets who just push whatever narrative he wants. Like he he literally sends out talking points to them, and they push it. And he's got online influencers, and they push his talking points to either promote what he wants or attack who he wants. And he's been trying to put that, build that out to a national scale ahead of the 2024 election. And that I find very, very bothersome because the whole thing is once he gets on a national stage, if he's exposed to regular media, he's going to wilt. But if he manages to build his own media machine where he just bypassed the regular media and he just has like he's been cultivating Fox News and trying to pull them away from Trump. But if he gets his own media apparatus out there in the full out, out there in the wild, he won't necessarily need that. Hmm. And that's really, really dangerous for everyone else because DeSantis is a very dangerous person. He is the full on authoritarian that Trump wants to be. And while you know we we don't have anything like that on the left, none of our people, no matter how cynical, no matter how you know power hungry that you can get. None of our people, no one on the left is, tries anything like this. No. We don't have authoritarians who try to manipulate the media on the left like this. 
At mm. our worst, it doesn't get like this. But we have our, I mean, this is the type of shit that Putin did. This is what they did, Orban, uh, Victor Orban did. This is what, um, er, er, how do you pronounce his name from Turkey? Aragon? Damn it. I Aragon. Yeah. Yes, thank you. This is what they did. They just manipulated media and then eventually took it over. He's also undermining um, regular media. Like he's trying to strip money from the regular media outlets in Florida so they can't basically do their jobs and they'll start collapsing the local media outlets because the less local media there is, the more uninformed people will be. And that's part of his strategy in Florida. Make people deaf, dumb, and blind, and then you can do anything you want. Mm. So, yeah, that's Florida. Hooray. Looking forward to that next year. Well, so I think mine... My one tops your guys. I've got uh, our, our good pal Tucker Carlson again. Um, this is—I swear—he's just the guy's trying to up the ante. Like every week, he tries to do something more insane than the than the week before. But this week was a particularly um, a gratuitous and disgusting one, even for him, even for Tucker Carlson. This was this was quite exce- this was excessive. This is from the Huffington Post. Here we go. Tucker Carlson likened democratic support for reproductive health care rights to, quote, promoting human sacrifice in an on-brand rant Wednesday on Fox News. The Tucker Carlson Tonight host joined the conservative uproar over abortion lapels, uh, lapel pins worn by Senator Ed Markey and, and Representative Madeline Dean to Tuesday's State of the Union address. And Tucker Carlson said, quote, take a look at this pin, which has replaced the American flag on their lapels. Notice the O in the abortion is in the shape of a heart. They literally love abortion. Do you think abortion is a wonderful affirming act you feel so proud of? You brag about it with jewelry. He said, if you feel that way, you should know about you should know that you are not defending a medical procedure. You wouldn't say that about an appendectomy. You are promoting an anxious religious right called human sacrifice. That's what this is promoting, human sacrifice. And so there, there we are. it is. There yeah, it and, is. And there we are. We're at blood, the blood libel part of um, right-wing hysteria now. This is a major newscaster, the most pop, one of the most popular talk show hosts in America, saying that Democrats are into human sacrifice and they are want to sacrifice babies. That, these are the same people who the Republicans are now wearing an AR-15 lapel pin instead of the instead of the United States flag, mm. right? These are the same. Also, the same people that when Obama didn't wear a flag pin, they lost their fucking minds. Right. But now they'll wear a gun and they're going to scream about Democrats doing something similar, but not a gun. So you know, and guns. These guns only exist to kill people. They really don't have a function other than that. Right. Like, I'm sorry. You don't really use an AR-15 to go hunting. Right. You just don't. I mean, look. I will say this: that I think that the um, Planned Parenthood this lapel pin is is probably a mistake because it feeds into the right wing hysteria machine. Um, I will say that. Like, I do. I definitely think that a lot of you know Planned Parenthood needs to think a little bit more carefully about its marketing strategy. It's very important that it captures the public kind of consciousness in in in, in the time right now, given how precarious like women's rights are so like if anybody a message to the left and to to the, a lot of these um organizations doing very important work like don't give them fodder like this because it's gonna get like i'm not blaming them but i'm saying that 
we need to be careful about how this stuff is um, is presented because, like, this could get people killed. Like, what Tucker Carlson is doing it could get people killed. This is going to uh, end in tears. I can I can tell for now. So we've got to on on the left. Everybody needs to make sure that don't feed these trolls, don't feed these these lunatics, these ghouls as as, as much as possible. Um, anyhow, that was uh, <laughs> flipping Tucker Carlson. Uh, I'm sure we'll be featuring him again. But so, look, everybody, that's the show uh, for today. We're going to be going into the emergency meeting right now. We're going to be discussing a very strange story, a very weird uh, Seymour Hirsch, who was the greatest, probably the greatest journalist in American history, I would say. At least he was the highest paid one. He was the New Yorker. He broke the Malay Massacre story um, way back in the 70s, I believe. Um, it was a huge, uh, or even the 60s, I think. Um, Seymour Hirsch is an absolutely legendary journalist, but he's gone completely off the rails now. And he's claiming that the... Um, uh, the American government blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. So we're going to be talking about that. What is going on with conspiracy theorists? Why do journalists, reputable journalists, go off the deep end? Uh, I've got a personal story about Seymour Hirsch as well. Um, when I moved to DC, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you about that. So anyway, we're going to go into the, to the emergency meeting section. Oh, I've forgotten one very, very, very important thing. <laughs> Emergency meeting, emergency meeting, emergency meeting, and then... Oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I know you guys love this. So, look, we're going to head into the emergency meeting. Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Um, You can join us there. If you want to get a Banter membership, you can get 60% off, 60% off a membership, and then that entitles you to listen to the emergency meeting. You get all of our members only articles. You can take part in member chat threads. You'll be supporting us. We we need your help. Um, We really appreciate everybody else who is supporting us at the moment. It's immensely useful. Um, So please join us there and we will see you next week. Have a good week.